Hi, it's Daniel Lucas, and welcome to Chasing Energy, episode number 47. I'm your host. I did about a decade as an endurance athlete, and today we're actually going to talk about some of the lessons I learned during that decade, and that I still use today, and that is with intermittent fasting. So here's the agenda for today. I'm sorry, it's just me. There is no guest today. This is a solo episode. But I'm going to tell you the pros the cons, how I use intermittent fasting today, and then we're going to cover a study, which is what made me want to share this message with you. I started, I signed, I, I'm registered with examine.com, and I read, I started reading the studies, and there was one on intermittent fasting and muscle protein synthesis. Here I am reading the study going, oh, this is really interesting. I should read this on a podcast. And then I go, wait a second, I've been doing intermittent fasting for almost a decade, and I've never talked about it. Maybe, maybe I should share that with the audience. So with that being said, let's get started. Intermittent fasting, what is it? Okay, the general consensus is that you go in 12 hours without food, which means if your last calories at 8 p.m., you don't have another calorie till 8 a.m. That's a basic intermittent fasting structure. I would call that phase one. Phase two would be you don't have breakfast till 10 o'clock, 14 hours. And again, it doesn't matter which meal you ate last or first. It's just the gap of no calories. Stage three would be about 16 hours, I think. And then from there, people, some people will have one meal every 20, 24 hours. It's called OMAD, one meal a day is what, what it's called. I never wanted to do that, but I do know people who have done that successfully. Your mileage may vary. So that's what intermittent fasting is. Now, how did I get started with it? Well, about seven and a half years ago, I think it was, I tore a hamstring while I was training, and I was running a whole lot of miles at this time, um, a lot of trail miles, and I thought, well, I've always tried to put a positive spin anytime I get hurt or injured. So in this particular case, I knew I was not going to be able to run a lot of miles, and I, <laughs> I'm laughing when I say this. I thought the the hamstring would be four to six weeks based on some Google searches before I was back on my feet, literally, proverbially, whatever you want to call it. It I, I'll cover it another time. It was not four to six weeks. It may have been if I had like a professional physician singing after me, but I didn't. I just sort of suffered through it and tried to train through it like an idiot and probably drug it out two or three times longer than it should have been. So... I had this torn hamstring, I'm running a whole lot less miles, and then I decide, I know, I've heard about this intermittent fasting thing, I wanted to try it, but I was always too afraid to implement it while I was training so hard, so why not do it now? It'll be a way for me to keep from gaining any weight while I'm uh, injured and not running many miles. I was still, just just for the record, I was still lifting with the torn hamstring, I was able to to exercise every other day. But when you're talking about somebody who's addicted to exercise like I was, uh, taking, you know, only working out every other day is kind of unacceptable. So that was my positive spin. I had a hamstring tear, and I thought, what can I take away from this? I know I'll do intermittent fasting for a few months. It was not hard for me to start intermittent fasting. My mom has always, uh, and still always, does not eat breakfast. She's a late-night snacker for sure, but she's never eaten breakfast and I always thought it was kind of silly. I thought of that whole, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, which is not true. I totally disagree with that. Even if I wasn't intermittent fasting, I think that's a terrible piece of advice. But 
I digress. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So now I'm in this thing where I'm going, okay, I'm going to do the intermittent fasting. I started and, and immediately, I think within a week, I was like, oh, it's not that bad to skip breakfast and just have a coffee instead. I'm good. So here are the pros of intermittent fasting. I do have one or two of the cons weaved in here, but here are the pros of intermittent fasting. If you are an endurance athlete, if you are not an endurance athlete, it's, I think for the most part, it's very sound. I don't think there's, you, you want to implement it slowly, but there's, there's, if you're not having to train very much, if you're just hitting the gym here and there, it's, a, it's actually a really good way to keep yourself from overindulging on food. For me personally, having rules in place that are smart rules, that are well justified and help me achieve a goal, I love having good rules. And I'm going to tell you how having dumb rules is, is going to hurt you. We'll get to that. So running, I never had to fuel. This is, we're going to start down the pros list here. I never had to fuel prior to a run. I could, didn't matter if it was a 50K, a 10-miler, a 5-miler, a 10-miler. I did not have to have fuel prior to a run. At most, I'd be an hour or two into the run before I would start having calories. It's a great way to lose weight and stay lean. Um, and in fact, we'll talk about some of the cons too, but if you were looking to lose weight, intermittent fasting will really restrict you to these times and to sort of teach your body how to work off of body fat during the um, depleted stages, if you will. Reflux issues. Now, this is where I say it's a little bit of a pro and a con mixed in. I started having reflux issues specifically with running. I didn't have it most any time outside of running, but or at least bad. But there were the last couple of years I was running distance. Um, I never knew when it was going to flare up, and man. When, when that reflux flares up in the middle of a run, there is nothing you can do. I mean, even water burns your throat. It's a terrible experience. I haven't had it in years, and, and I'm smiling as I say that because I honestly thought for a while I was going to have it the rest of my life. If I had to choose between dealing with that reflux and continuing to race, I would have definitely thrown in the towel looking back and, and, and being without it. So for those of you who have ever had any type of GERD or acid reflux issue, my heart goes out to you. I was never willing to give up the coffee. I have, I, I still am not willing to, but I did manage to get it to where the coffee doesn't bother me anymore. So I'm really happy about that. Now, why am I bringing up the reflux issues? Well, it seemed to be exacerbated by running. And uh, I don't know how much of that was the fact that I was doing paleo at the same time. I was very, very close to being complete paleo. But while I was doing intermittent fasting, I do not recommend endurance athletes do both of those at the same time. I would say you could probably get away with one or the other. I lean towards intermittent fasting being a better strategy for an endurance athlete than paleo. Just This is my personal opinion. The, the studies we cover today don't relate to that. But this is my personal opinion, and I'm allowed to give it here. I certainly have probably had more experience with paleo intermittent fasting than most professional doctors have, but that's just one man's opinion here. I think both of them are great improvements over the standard Western diet, but I wouldn't combine the two of them if I was an endurance athlete. There, I've said it. Uh, another one of the pros, 
I rarely suffered any type of blood sugar issue uh, when I was uh, training. So even though my 10 milers or even 12 milers or 50, because I had needed so few calories while I was doing it, I generally didn't have those blood sugar spikes. And in fact, uh, I used a product the last several years I was running that pretty much eliminated sugar spikes. And that is a product called UCAN. It's cornstarch. There was a race, uh, the Sonoma, I think it was the Sonoma 50 miler I did. And when I finished that race, I specifically remember saying, I will never touch another gel. I'm just so, if I see another gel, I'm going to throw up. It, they they messed me up so bad in that race. And that's at, at that point, I got into the UCAM product, and it served me pretty well. Um, one last thing on the reflux issue that I was going to mention was, I think part of my reflux was when I was on paleo, I had a lot more fat in my diet. That does not serve me well. Um, I thought uh, what everybody preaches about fat being such a high satiety food and being, you know, good for you. I, I personally don't think it is a high satiety food compared to protein. Compared to protein, it's not. Um, if you want to compare it to a donut, that's probably a, a better argument. So if you have like a scoop of peanut butter or something like that, and you have think it's like a donut or or something like that. You're probably going to be happier with the peanut butter. But if you took the same amount of calories in a large scoop of peanut butter, we'll say 2 tablespoons and you have you know chicken breast or something like that. That chicken breast is going to keep you full a whole lot longer. And this is uh, this is where I think the whole satiety thing with fat got overplayed. I'm not anti-fat, don't get me wrong, but I think my personal experience is that when you talk about a high-fat diet, make sure you weigh out the pros. And in my case, when I gave up the high-fat diet, one of the first things I noticed was my reflux went down, and I was like, oh, thank you, God. I was so sick of it. All right, so let's talk about some of the cons of intermittent fasting. I would not recommend it, again, if you are doing paleo, um, when it made sense this is this is a con. When it made sense to fuel prior to a race, I could I generally couldn't do it because my stomach was not trained on how, handling calories prior to a race, and I was nervous to do it. When it made sense to eat during a race, my stomach rarely could handle it. I don't know how much of that was due to intermittent fasting, but I just could not run with much calories in my stomach anymore. My stomach had just adjusted to running on next to nothing. So you can cornstarch. Uh, a little bit of simple sugars and electrolytes was generally what I took when I was uh, competing. Uh, missing out on speed and muscle gains. So the I can tell you the exact, one of the last races I did, I completely dropped all paleo and intermittent fasting protocols to just focus on speed. And my gosh, did it work. Um, I followed a program. I hired a coach. And I started having gels during my run uh, and calorie or just calories in general during my run. And I was able to nail some of these 10 and 12 mile runs at a tempo pace that I could not, I, do, I just don't think I could have done it without calories. Um, for as far as like your days where you're doing these key interval days, you really need to make sure you're not depleted when you go into those. 
I did it for years. I don't recommend it. It puts such a drain on my system. And when you're talking about going to the well in a workout, you don't want to be depleted when you go to the well because then you're giving out, you know, your willpower is already weak when you're trying to do 100% on this particular interval day. You need to have all your effort focused on nailing that interval and not being hungry at the same time. So missing out on some of my speed gains and definitely when it came to muscle gains, I was, by the way, this whole time that I was running, I was lifting probably about three days a week. It's a little tricky when you haven't eaten anything and you go in and work out in the afternoon and then your first meal of the day, you know, you've gone probably 16, 17 hours at least without a calorie and you know, you're working out, it's hard to kind of get those quality workouts. And then by the time you get to the food, you just want to shove it down your mouth as fast as you can. So that leads me to how do I manage intermittent fasting now? Well, while we're on the topic, that last point about shoving food down your mouth, one thing that I do now, by the way, I I do practice intermittent fasting now, but I'm not strict about it. I do it because I feel better. There are some advantages that I'm missing out on. For example, if I wanted to put on significantly more muscle than I have now, I it would not serve me to intermittent fast. I think it would be best to get up and start having protein as soon as I wake up prior to the gym, prior to, you know, and, and probably having something like a casein protein shake right before bed. I've, I've got the strength and muscle right now that I, I feel like I, I've hit those goals and my workouts are solid and I don't feel the need to put those things in. And I don't have more energy when I add excess calories. That's one thing. And I don't enjoy eating calories when I'm forcing it down. So those are a couple reasons why I still intermittent fast today. A third reason that I intermittent fast today is I function better cognitively, especially in the mornings when I have little to no calories in my system. Now, if there's a very hard workout at like 6 a.m. and then I go into meetings at like 8 a.m., it's not uncommon for me to just nibble on, you know, like an orange or an apple with my coffee or something like that. But I generally won't eat a big breakfast in the morning just because it, it slows me down a little bit. And when I say big, I mean, forget the, you know, Waffles and pan, you know, eggs and omelet. I'm I, I'm talking anything over 300 calories, 350 calories is where I start to notice it starts slowing me down. Peter Atia, one of the world's foremost experts on longevity, has probably one of the top health podcasts in the world. I remember him saying in an interview years ago because he did. Uh, keto and and all that type of stuff where he was and he was an endurance athlete as well and he said that some a trainer or sports scientist told him when he started it it'll take you a year or two to get the hang of it and that he thought to himself oh i'll have it within a month and that when he looked back on it he said it took me a year and a half for my body to adapt to basically being deprived and using fat for energy. I have to say, that's probably the case. Um, It's not immediate. You still, you know, the bonking and things like that still come. The discomfort, the hangry, it takes time 
for your body to adapt to being in a fat-managed state. Having said that, I am not a ketosis person anymore. Uh, I used to, I used to uh, have a lot more fat in my diet. I don't, I don't miss it. Um, I don't think it's uh, as beneficial unless you are in a state where you, it's, it's a health crisis for you to lose weight. If it's that important for you to lose weight, some of these things like ketosis and fasting and things, going to the dramatic style of it, can serve you. Uh, I do not sweat about the number of hours I have fasted anymore. I don't. I used to sit there in my head and think, you can make it to 16. You can make, to, make it to 16. You can do this. Even when I was starving and weak. Now I don't sweat it at all. In fact, I do the opposite. When I start to get hungry, I'll have a small snack so that I don't wait until I'm famished and then shove a bunch of food down my stomach and slow my system down. You see what I'm doing there? I'm breaking it up into small courses. So while typing the notes for this podcast, I can't, I did not realize I was doing this till I was typing up the notes, but I came up with this methodology I call the two-by-two. And that is this. I don't make an intention out of this. It's not something I do on purpose. But I noticed that I started doing two, two course meals a day. I have my first meal at about 11 o'clock, 11.30, right in there. And I'll have something like a, a large salad with sardines and some other vegetables in it and, and a homemade dressing. And I'll follow it maybe 30 minutes later or 20 minutes later with something like a yogurt with granola, okay? That's my two courses right there. And, and by the way, it's not uncommon for me to add like an apple or something to that. Um, that's, that's the first one. And then I will not generally be hungry until about 6 o'clock. And that's when I'll have uh, two courses for dinner. And so I'll have a, a main entree. Almost always the emphasis is going to be uh, protein and either vegetables or some complex carbohydrates. And then I'll follow that up about 20 minutes later with some type of healthy-ish dessert. And I say healthy-ish, it's usually something like um, yogurt with uh, blueberries and granola or something like that, or a half an apple sliced up in there. Something where I feel like I'm having a treat but it still has uh, some protein in it. By the way, with both of those uh, yogurt meals, I generally throw in some collagen for extra protein. So that is the two-by-two approach. I'll say it one more time. It's two, the two-by-two approach is two, two course meals a day, and it's usually one larger course and one smaller course. And I sometimes I'll have the smaller course first, and sometimes I'll have it as a dessert, but this is just my experience. So with that being said, you now know the pros, the cons, and how I manage it today. I'm not strict about it. Like I said, if there's a day where I wake up and say, mercy, I'm hungry, I just go with it. There is uh, one last thing I want to cover about that, and that is when it comes to workouts. If you work out first thing in the morning and you're trying to hit this intermittent fasting window, my advice to you is you can wait till you're hungry, but don't wait till you're starving. That that just sums up what years of playing around with it, that just sums it up right there. If you work out in the morning and you're wanting to hit that window of 16, 18 hours, 
wait till you're hungry, but not starving. There's not a lot. I just don't think there's a lot of benefit to hitting that 16 on the mark when you worked out four hours prior and you're just famished by then. These are, these are the opinions of, of a podcast host, people. I'm not a doctor. All right, so this is a um, study that I pulled up from examine.com. The link is in the show notes. Does time-restricted eating repair impair protein muscle synthesis? So in other words, when people fast, how much muscle building potential are they missing out on? 18 healthy men, uh, they do... Um, a, a very isocaloric protein match diet. It was actually kind of neat how they set up the study where it was this very strict shakes based on their body weight. And then they did a muscle biopsy before and after the intervention. The one thing I do want to point out is this study was only uh, 10 days. That's not a lot to do uh, an intermittent fasting study. It's, But I know that if I were on the other end of the study, they would say, do you know how hard it is to manage 10 people, or, you know, or I'm sorry, 18 people for 10 full days, every calorie they eat. It's a lot. And I would say, you're right. God bless you for doing that work. Well, let me skip to the chase here. The evidence suggests that um, the muscle protein response to protein ingestion is relative, relatively short-lived. So uh, part of that is that when you have the protein, it's available in your body for a very limited amount of time. Carbs and fat, the body stores those pretty easily. Protein, it does not. Which is why when you see people eating a higher protein diet, it's very, it's a lot harder to get overweight because when you get so full on that protein and the protein is not stored as easily. The, um, what they found was the two separate studies have reported that a 12-hour period following resistance, exercise, and contuming, um, oh, this is one of the, um, findings they had when it came to muscle protein synthesis. And it has a graph here, and I'm just going to spell it. It's basically what I would call the Goldilocks effect. There's low, medium, and high. They tried giving um, a 10, 10 grams of protein for breakfast, 15 for lunch, and 65 for dinner, as opposed to 30, 30, 30. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 30, 30, 30. And what they found was that muscle protein synthesis was much better when the protein was distributed evenly through the day instead of lopsiding it with dinner. Now, back to the intermittent fasting part. The um, In this study, they had an eight-hour eating window. So what is that? 16-hour? Um, it's a 16-hour fast. Um, it did not turn out to be uh, catastrophic or catabolic to the muscle if you had an eight-hour eating window. Now, they even say at the bottom of the study, if it had been four, we think you might start seeing catabolic effects. But all that to say, if you are intermittent fasting and still getting enough protein during that eight-hour window, odds are you're probably not going to lose noticeable amounts of muscle. The lean mass and stuff like that, I think, is is probably going to work in your favor. Not because you're fasting, but, well, that, that's probably part of it, but probably because you're just not eating as much food because you during, you know, what, 16 hours of the day, you're not eating at all? Do you know how many people who are not intermittent fasters are going to naturally go 16 hours without food? It's It's not that many. So you rule out midnight snacking, which is a horrible idea for your sleep and your blood sugar. So 
the study. I will put it in the show notes, but the nutshell of it is you're probably not going to lose much muscle if you eating a, a steady diet of protein broken up within an eight-hour window. I'd say you could probably pull it off with six, although you'd probably have to eat, um, you have to have a pretty busy eating schedule inside that six hours. So this is, uh, thank you for listening. This has been a little uh, fun journey for me with intermittent fasting. I still play around with my fasting and I've, I've made peace with it. It serves me now. I don't feel like I'm a, a slave to it. And if there's any intermittent fasting questions you have, I'd be more than happy to share you my opinion. If I can find a study to back it, I will. Otherwise, it'll just be my opinion. Thank you so much for uh, joining this episode. If you made it this far, please like and subscribe. Follow the podcast. Look me up on... Actually, go to my webpage, chasing.energy, and subscribe to the newsletter. That'd be fantastic. Love to hear from you. Would love to see a review. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Energy.